Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, activists, listeners, parents, children, everyone, to the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools here on 3CR. 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. We are here to defend public education um, on a community radio station because public education needs defending. Um, we'll be discussing a whole heap of issues um, and uh, various schools, actually. A great state school at the end of the program, as we always do. We'll be uh, talking about the wonders they're doing down there at Newport. Um, Newport Lakes Primary School is doing good things. We'll be finishing off with that. So hang around to the end. You'll find out about the wonderful things that are happening there. But, of course, as we do every week, we have to highlight the war against public education here in Australia and, indeed, around the world. Um, we'll be discussing several things um, from both here and America on the program today. Of course, we're going to be discussing the ongoing sectarian battle that's going on in Australian education. It's strange to say. Um, for many years, the Defensive Government Schools organisation has been called sectarian because we do not think that religious institutions should receive taxpayers' funding um, to educate children. Uh, we just, if you want to educate your child in a school of a particular religious faith, that is your business and your right and a, and a freedom under the Constitution. But it is not your right to attract funding from me or any other person in Australia to do so. Um, at the moment, there's a sectarian fight, not between the dogs and religious education. There's a sectarian um, war going on between... Um, uh, Catholic education system and the education system of all the other denominations combined from Muslim to Sikh to um, Scientology to Protestant a lot of them they all got together they call themselves the independent schools laughably so the independent schools are going to war against the Catholic schools and it's, 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 very, it's unedifying to say the least um, because of course the majority of the children of Australia have got nothing to do with this war the majority of the children in Australia go to state schools which are desperately underfunded, and the war that's going on between the various religious factions in Australia over education is all about how their children are supposed to be funded by the government, not, not by themselves or, or, or by tithing or, or by the parents. No, they're, they're fighting over getting money from, from you and I, people who have no stake in any religion, um, if that's what we choose not to do. And, of course, if we do choose to have a stake in, in some form of religion, that's our business. <laughs> uh, it's not your business. Um, that's, that, that's a very personal matter and not to be discussed here on the radio or perhaps anywhere else unless you choose to. Um, so we'll be discussing this on, well, unholy, I suppose, is the only word you can describe, this unholy debate. Um, it's myself and Dale in the studio today, and Jean's taking a bit of a break from the radio, a well-deserved one, I would say. She's off for a couple of weeks doing some research um, in interstate, as it happens, which is good, good luck to her. So we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about the issues, indeed, of separation of religion and state in Australia more generally. And then we'll be travelling overseas to discuss what's going on in America um, with a very particular individual, um, a woman called Betsy DeVos. Betsy DeVos is the Education Secretary in the United States. And then, of course, we'll be finishing up um, with talking about some good news, about the wonderful things going on down there in Newport in Melbourne. But before we go any further, of course, I think we should have a little bit of a break. International Overdose Awareness Day is held annually on the 31st of August. It is a day to raise awareness of overdose, reduce the stigma of drug-related death and acknowledge the grief felt by family and friends of those who have died. 
With the ongoing stigmatisation and criminalisation of people who consume drugs in Australia, International Overdose Awareness Day is as important as ever. This year, 3CR will be broadcasting a special half-hour program at 10am on Friday the 31st of August. Join us for a panel discussion looking at current efforts to reduce the tragic loss of life from overdose in Australia. Experts will offer perspectives from the fields of research, service delivery and most importantly, peers in the community. The Australian Plants Expo is a huge native plant fair coming up on September 8th and 9th in Eltham. There'll be books, art, giftware and talks by Philip Johnson, A.B. Bishop and Loretta Childs. There'll also be demonstrations and workshops on botanical art, propagation and native bonsai, as well as activities for children, refreshments and door prizes. Saturday and Sunday, September 8th and 9th, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Contact at apsyarrayarra at gmail.com or call 0430-513-433 for more details. Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dials and podcast on the WWWs. Yeah, um, as I was mentioning before, we had those very interesting messages uh, from our supporters um, and from, from the community in general. And there's an almighty prize fight going on between various religious denominations at the moment, each of which have government-funded school systems in Australia. An interesting article by David Crowe just last week in the Fairfax Press, he says schools may not teach boxing these days, but they still know how to enter the ring and throw a punch. That is a lesson um, from the elections that we had, the by-elections we had a few weeks ago. Um, when the Catholic independent school systems start sort of gloving up for a fight, uh, we'd all better start watching out, according to David Crow. Now, the frustrations over school funding are getting worse, indeed. Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull is on notice to produce a better outcome for schools and their students as soon as possible, knowing that parents from various private school groups will be mobilised against him if he puts a foot wrong. The federal by-elections, of course, have added to this pressure and have highlighted this. Now, the Catholic school leaders want Turnbull and his education minister, Mr Birmingham, to know that they appeal directly to families in the Longman by-election and are willing to do the same at the general election. They're flexing their political muscle in the most crude way possible. And their demand, the demand of the Catholic bishops from the federal government, is we want more money and we want it now. Now, at stake, of course, is the founding principle of a fairer system for the allocation of taxpayers' money. The government's goal is to fund each school according to need. This needs policy thing just keeps coming back. How can you possibly do this? But anyway, we'll we'll, we'll come back to the basic principle of how a needs policy doesn't work in the first place. But if you accept that the needs policy is something that is a political reality at the moment in Australia, it sounds simple especially when you start talking about Gonski 2.0 or 2.1 or whatever it is at the moment. Um, and it causes a wrenching change for the Catholic system who has lost what they call their system-weighted averages that allow it to smooth out funding across its schools. What the system-weighted average means is, of course, that if the average income for a suburb is low, then the Catholic school in that suburb will attract more money from the government. The fact that the students who go to the Catholic school in that suburb are not the poor children in that suburb has no, has, has no bearing on the matter. Also, the money that's allocated to the school within the Catholic system, and it's a system, not, it doesn't go to the school, it goes to the system, means that the Catholic school system can take that money and do whatever they like with it, up to and including giving the money to the school, but they certainly don't have to. And so this process that the Catholic school system has had in the past is something that they don't want to lose. They like the idea of taking big, big billions of dollars and allocating it the way they choose to benefit themselves, not necessarily the children, just to benefit the Catholic school system. Now, time and again, over the years, the Catholic authorities have made alarming claims about school closures and fee increases. Indeed, last year, in the Australian newspaper, published a table within the warning from the National Catholic Education Commission that fees would rise by $6,000 this year. 
Now, within weeks, Brisbane Catholic Education wrote a letter to parents saying that actually, no, that's not quite right. So they're not quite getting on the same page there, but they do. They, they, they threaten these massive increases to scare the parents who go to those schools in swing states, and so therefore the politicians, probably quite rightly, get a bit grumpy. But, of course, even though they no longer teach boxing in schools... They're probably still, but they're probably still reading in various schools, including Catholic and Protestant ones, about the story about the boy who cried wolf. Now, parents need to separate the lobbying from the reality, according to this particular author, who I'll repeat again is David Crow. He says that Canberra is on track to spend, well, $243.5 billion on schools in the next 10 years. This includes the Turnbull government's funding boost of $23 billion under its deal to the Senate last year. There is more money for all sides. This also includes, just by the way, nominally, the state school system, which neither the Catholic nor the independent school system have care about at all. That's, that's not on their agenda. They just don't give a damn. So the dispute is actually about how this cash is supposed to be carved up. Now, in the past, the Catholics have been vindicated in some of their concerns about socioeconomic status scores that will be used to allocate funding. That is to say, as children from poorer backgrounds are supposed to get more, children from richer backgrounds are supposed to get less. A review led by the company director, Michael Chaney, has set out to better approach and decide how this is done. Now, the new approach under Gonski 2.0 sounds particularly Orwellian, but it is in fact practical. Schools will provide the address details of their parents to the Education Department. The Education Department will go and talk to the Australian Taxation Office and calculate the median income of the parents and then put that all together to create a median income for the school. Now, this puts a hard hard number on the community's capacity to pay the school fees in the private school. It means the taxpayer money goes to schools with the greatest need, by definition, in the Australian context at the moment, the state school system. Overall... There is real progress being made on school funding and we have systems that are involved in allocating according to need. And this is written by a fellow called Peter Goss, who's the School Education Program Director for the Grattan Institute. So so he's sort of saying, okay, that's a reasonable way of approaching it. But the Catholics don't like this. Catholics don't don't, don't like this at all because they like to say, well, no, we're going to spend the money that you give us any way we like and we will get the money allocated on the overall, the overall um, s- suburban median income rather than individual ones because we don't want people looking into exactly what we're doing with it. Now, comparing this new model to the previous model, Brisbane Catholic schools would be disadvantaged. Disadvantaged is the word that they used in the order of $40 million. So they will get less money because they need less money. But they don't want to get less money, so they're saying, no, no, this is, this is all rather sectarian. And the argument has a key flaw. The hierarchy of the Catholic Church wanted the parents, indeed, of Caboolture to worry about something that was mostly a problem for the wealthiest schools that were in Brisbane at the time. Now, this is the thing that say the Catholic system is, is, is this whole thing, if you attack one, you attack all, but that's not, in fact, the case. The wealthy Catholic schools in the centre of Brisbane were being overfunded, by definition, and the Catholic schools in Caboolture, it made no difference to them because the students were going to them were poor in any case. This is an elemental fight for Catholic authorities, and there's a genuine frustration of the school-by-stall approach for, for Birmingham. Now, I would actually put, um, as, and we'll come to this, there's another reason why they want to have the government separate from the funding, separate from the actual process of allocating funds. And I'll be coming to that in a minute because it actually has to do with the more fundamental question of what happens when it comes to the notion of separation of religion from the state. But before we go any further, I think we should put this whole issue to bed. And um, um, Lindsay Connors, interesting fellow, Lindsay Connors, he's, he's written an interesting, um, an interesting think piece on Pearls and Irritations, a website by John Menager. And I think Dale's going to sort of perhaps put a capstone on this whole issue because I think it's rather fascinating because I haven't mentioned what the independent schools are going on about yet because they want to, the Catholic school system and the independent school system are now fighting each other because the state school system under this model will of course get more money but the two systems are working out who it's supposed to come from. It's not coming from me, it's coming from them. It's not coming from them, it's coming from me and that's the fight that's going on. So perhaps Dale you can enlighten us with the wise words of Lindsay Connors. Thanks. 
Thanks, Rob. Uh, yeah, this uh, Lindsay Connor's article uh, is entitled "The School School Funding Saga Wins on Its Way and Everything Changes While Everything Stays the Same." The recent by-elections suggest that when it comes to the politics of school funding, everything stays the same while everything changes. In the wake of the recent by-election win by Labor in the electorate of Longwen, there are reports of a growing assertiveness from Catholic school authorities claiming to have influenced the outcome through emails sent to parents at three Catholic schools. These advised them on the Friday before the next day's by-election that Labor was promising a better deal for their schools than the Turnbull government. Had this message been conveyed in the form of a letter, the Turnbull government would be entitled to take it with a large grain of salt, take it with a large grain of salt any claim that it influenced the by-election. For my experience as a parent of four and that of other parents with whom I consorted has been that no, chi- no children, whether aged five or 17, come home on Friday afternoon, unpack their school bags and present their parents with communications in a timely manner. No, it's on Sunday night that parents, mainly mothers, ferret out the contents of the school bags, the festering lunchboxes and the crumpled notes that inform them that their child needs to come dressed as a lettuce or a fox or for a performance in the Monday morning assembly. But we live in the age of disruption. This was an email and not a letter that conveyed voting instructions to Catholic school parents in Longman. That changes the game. It enables 11th hour interventions in elections without the time for analysis or reflection. Catholic school authorities are ideally placed to pressure governments, in this case the Commonwealth, for increased funding since the church itself now has very little financial skin in the game. Like almost all private schools, Catholic schools are now funded by governments and parents, while their owners, largely religious, continue to set the conditions and the price that govern the student access to them. Children in public schools, however, cannot rely on their school authorities, namely state and territory governments, to identify their needs or apply the same pressure on their behalf as their private sector counterparts. Why? Because under our irrational split in responsibilities between the two levels of government, state and commonwealth, it is, the, it is state governments that would have to foot most of the bill. Thus, the Longman by-election foreshadows yet another general election when the focus of national attention will be on private schools rather than on public schools that carry the responsibility for the provision of educating all comers without discrimination and that serve the majority of students. What is new, however, is that we are now witnessing a change in the relationship between the Catholic Church and its schools, where the Church traditionally used its own political power to garner public money for its schools. It is now the largely publicly funded school system that is being used by the Church to shore up its own hold on political power. Yep, yep. it's just that simple. There's nothing more complicated to it than that. Because for every dollar that goes to a child in a state school these days, a dollar goes to a child in a private school. There is no saving to the government. Lindsay Connors has exactly got the point. The point is that these schools are used as political footballs for actually, I think, a much larger game. And the larger game is this, in the opinion of the dogs, that churches are now in danger. Religious situations, and certainly the Catholic Church in Australia, is in danger of losing its charitable status. The churches in Australia that run these school systems are now in danger of losing their exemptions from the anti-discrimination laws of this country. And I'll be talking a little bit more about that after a bit of music. Thank you. 
Yes, welcome back to the Dogs Program. That was an oboe concerto. First movement, Allegro con Molto by Mr. Vivaldi, played, played by a fellow called Robin Williams. Not, not the one that, not the comedian who's no longer with us, but I'm an oboe player. Recorded in 1988 um, on the Decamera Magna label. Um, yeah, I think we're going to keep playing some more of that because I love oboes. I'm, I'm going to indulge myself and hopefully share my passion for oboe concertos with you and you don't get too annoyed by it as we go through because we do need, do need a bit of calming down with sweet music because I have a theory. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a reasonable one, I feel. Um, the Catholic Church in particular is flexing its political muscle in the debate around religious um, funding for their religious schools. Yeah, by definition, they're religious schools because they're a religion. Um, which are funded by the government. Um, they're doing this, I think, in a, a warm-up because Philip Ruddock uh, was commissioned to do a report on religious discrimination and religious freedom in Australia. And there's a very live debate at the moment, um, I think it's very live indeed, that highlights the fact that in Australia at the moment there are 200,000 people working in jobs in Australia and those jobs are paid for by taxpayers but they are run by religious organisations. So there's 200,000 people who are working in religious schools, religious hospitals, religious organisations, religious universities, which are run by religions but are paid for by taxpayers. Now, the Australian Union movement um, in, was involved um, in putting a submission to the Radic Inquiry, which is just about to come out. And the fact that it's just about to come out, I think, is relevant to this debate about various churches flexing their political muscle. Because the Australian movement, um, the Australian Union movement has lobbied churches and other religious organisations to lose the, the current legal right they have to fire workers on the basis of their sexual um, identity or indeed their gender identity. Now this has come to light because Australia um, just quite recently has passed new laws that says that people of the same sex can be married to each other and happily so. Yeah. There was, there was not a referendum, there was a survey on it, and this was then passed by the Parliament. Now, the problem is that two people of the same sex that choose to get married can currently be fired if they work in a religious institution. Now, from a certain point of view, if you have a religious institution, they have their beliefs, and you say, well, that's fair enough. If you work at a religious institution and you decide to get married to someone from the same sex and that's offensive to their religion, well, what's wrong with that? Uh, my point that the unions make, and indeed the point that is made by us at the Dogs, is that if their wages are being paid for by me, the taxpayer, um, then I do have a problem with that because it's actually breaking the law. Now, Will Stack, the Assistant Secretary of the Victorian Trades Hall Council, has put forward a motion saying that unions wanted the exemption to allow religious organisations to discriminate to be narrowed significantly so that this exemption can only apply when it is inherent requirement of the job. So, for example, um, the unions recognise, and here at the Dogs we also recognise, that some roles in some places it is appropriate, such as indeed if you're teaching religious education in a school or you are doing the work of a priest, that you can indeed um, have your employment terminated if what it is that you say and do is against the tenets and beliefs of, of what your religion um, what, what your religion believes. But, and this is the point, we don't see why a religious school should be able to discriminate for someone who is actually just a cleaner there, or indeed just a teacher, you know, because you don't actually go around teaching uh, Catholic maths or Calathumpian English or, or Sikh science. These are things that teachers teach in schools and they're not inherently religious and so therefore whether you're gay or not or married to someone of the same sex is of no one's business. Certainly not your employers, be they religious or not. Now under federal and state laws in Australia today, religious organisations, most predominantly schools, are now exempt from the laws that protect workers from losing their jobs as a result of their gender identity, their sexuality, or indeed who they marry. Now, in the submission of the Radical Review into Religious Freedom, the Catholic Church, the Christian Schools Australia, and other religious organisations have all demanded that those exemptions remain in place. Now, this, of course, means that the LGBTIQA workers are forced into a situation where, for example, um, taking carers uh, working in religious uh, nursing homes they have to leave after their sick partner 
Uh, or they, you know, because if their partner gets sick and it's the same, it, 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 it's not a sort of heterosexual relationship, um, they can't let anyone know about that. Um, just, just really simple things, because if they do, then of course they're in danger of being sacked. Um, I happen to know someone who works in a Catholic school, and they've been living with their partner now for well over 30 years. They're not married. This is not spoken about. This person is a very valued employee, and they're not actually in danger against it, but they can't be honest about their life circumstances with the children or anyone else at school. And they've had to be in this job for over 30 years and lie the entire time for just not being married to the person with whom they live, because they could be sacked for that. They can now, currently in Australia, be sacked for that, and there is a push to say, this is not right, particularly and especially if you're using taxpayers' money to do this. But this actually goes even further, and you can tell why the religious institutions are now getting worried and flexing their political muscle, because there has indeed been a a call for religious institutions to lose their charitable status under the Taxation Act. And I'll be talking about that after these messages. The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews, calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. Istra Melbourne is a 3CR supporter.
that, some more Vivaldi and some more beautiful oboe. That's the second movement of Vivaldi's oboe concerto, the Laghetto, again played by Robin Williams. Um, now we're all calm, we should get fired up again because things are getting very interesting. There are now calls for churches to lose their charitable status. Now, I think this needs expanding because churches are supposed to be nice and do nice things, and that's why they're charities. And in fact, churches do do charitable things, and religious people do do charitable things, but the practice of religion itself in Australia is a charitable act and is therefore considered cha- um, uh, um, is exempt from, 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 from taxation. Um, Terry Hamilton, who used to be the Deputy Director or De- Deputy Taxation Commissioner for the Taxation, the ATO, here in Australia, said, hang on, if indeed the activities of religion uh, and the conduct of religion offend against the laws of Australia, they are by definition not charitable. And he's referring to the findings of the the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Sexual Abuses. Now, Julie Gillard said, no, 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 we're talking about institutional childhood sexual abuse, and so therefore Mr Terry Hamilton is saying, well, the institution that did these things is not a charitable institution, and so therefore should not be exempt from tax. I'm quoting from um, an interesting article here by Melissa Davey, published on the Guardian website on the 13th of May. And she says, it's unacceptable for churches that fail to protect children from sexual abuse to still have charitable status. Nine months after the Royal Commission delivered its final report, and this is according, as I said, to Terry Hamilton, the the ex-Assistant Taxation Commissioner. Now, Terry Hamilton's written to the Prime Minister's office, he's written to the Taxation Office, he's written to the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profits Commission, which was set up, indeed, for and by the churches themselves, and expressed concern at the number of unchallenged breaches of taxation law by Australia's religious institutions. He says, The High Court of Australia states that church bodies, to qualify as religious institutions, the church body must, and I quote, be instituted for the promotion of religious object. Its activities must reflect that character and its practices and conduct must not offend the laws of Australia. Now, the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses of Childhood Sexual Abuse has found that 4,000 children were sexually abused in 1,691 different religious institutions, including 2,483 children sexually abused in 964 religious institutions managed by the Catholic Church. These institutions, according to Mr Hamilton, attract significant financial benefit, particularly through taxation exemptions and charitable status. The associated crimes, and these are crimes we are talking about in these cases, breach the taxation law obligations that must result in a forfeit of tax exemptions and the registration of tax-exempt charities. He has notified the Prime Minister and the Treasurer of these breaches, in particular those relating to the Catholic Church. Hamilton has notified the Australian Charities Commission and not-for-profits, whose role is to determine if an organisation meets the requirements of being a registered charity and to monitor the ongoing compliance of charities. The Charities Commission responded that if Hamilton wanted to raise concerns, he could fill out a separate form for each specific charity he had concerns about. More paperwork, please, they said. A spokesperson told The Guardian Australia that to closely follow the outcomes of the Royal Commission agreed some of the findings raised issues of appropriate governance of organisations, including registered charities. And they quote from them, they say... They are unable to confirm or comment on any investigations due to the secrecy provisions within the legislation, a spokeswoman said. She said, however, one of our current areas of focus is on ensuring charities have appropriate governance in place to safeguard vulnerable people, particularly children, so they're making noises. The Charities Commission has a range of compliance powers available when it finds deliberate breaches of the Act or governance standards have occurred, including revocation or re- re- revocation of charitable status, formal warnings and suspension, or removal of responsible persons such as the board or committee members. So basically they're saying when it comes to the Catholic Church, the Australian Charities Commission has the um, ability to sack the Pope. Yeah, no, not really. Um, Leonie Sheedy is the head of the Care Leavers Australasian Network, which represents those abused. And her her group has long been calling for churches and charities that have failed to protect children to be taxed. Sheedy says that nothing has been done to hold the churches and charities to account by revoking their tax-exempt status because they have broken the law. Now, for this reason, and this reason alone... 
I think that the various religious institutions, and the Catholic Church in particular, are flexing their political muscle. Imagine the outcry, the political outcry, not just from Catholic schools, but from the Catholic Church, if you revoked their charitable status because they had blatantly broken the law when it comes to the care of their children. When I say their children, I care of the children in their care. And for these reasons, I think we're going to see a, a more religiously politicised Australian environment, which is, from a, from a secularist point of view, not what we want, but it does actually bring them out from the shadows for the first time, probably in a generation, because the powers that be in Australia. Often you hear, oh, you can't possibly take money away from private schools. The political reality is that the churches won't allow it. Well, now if the churches are going to come out from behind their shadows and flex their muscles in public, I think those behind-the-door deals that have been done for all those years now have to come out into, into the open and we have a more a, a greater chance if the war comes out into the open because, remember, the vast majority of Australians have a very significant stake in the state school system of Australia, not the private school system, the state school system. We'll be back with some more news from overseas, I think after a little bit more for Valdi. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Um, we're going to talk about Betsy DeVos and the Education Secretary over in the United States. Um, if Betsy DeVos had, had any smarts at all, she would have come round to Melbourne in the last couple of weeks and seen what's happened to our TAFE sector. Because here in Victoria, we privatised technical and further education and it turned into a giant multi-billion dollar waste of money and a mess. 
private colleges rorted the system, took taxpayers' money and wandered off into the ether. Money's gone, we're never getting it back, and a whole bunch of young people have now been completely turned off the idea of getting further education because they don't know who to trust. It's a palaver, it's a mess. State government is now picking up the pieces that they themselves made. Betsy DeVos, um, who's the Education Secretary in the United States of America, is a full-on advocate for private educational processes and is anti, stated anti, um, she's, she, she's completely against public education and she's the Secretary in the United States for Public Education. Now, one of the things that happened with private colleges in the United States, which is a strangely unregulated market, well, probably not strangely, you know, the States is famous for its deregulation, um, is that Obama, the previous, prim- um, previous president, he put in a little bit of legislation that said, look, if you're going to be a um, private college, you're going to have to show that your degree is worth something. So he had put up this target saying, you have to tell people what the gainful employment your students get after they leave. Is your course worth anything? Is your course just a Mickey Mouse thing that no one cares about? And so he set up a whole set of accountabilities that private colleges had to then, as a matter of law, report to. Betsy DeVos doesn't want private colleges reporting or being accountable. And so she's in the process now of taking all of those accountabilities away. Why? I don't know. Dale, can you tell us what's going on in the United States? (laughs) Thanks, Rob. I've got an article here from the editorial board of USA Today entitled, Betsy DeVos wants to fail students at for-profit colleges. Education Secretary proposes dumping gainful employment rule that holds career training programs accountable. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos is about to make life a lot easier for predatory for-profit colleges and a lot tougher for students lured by overblown promises of jobs that never materialise. For years, some for-profit colleges have left devastated students in their wake, often veterans and struggling workers who waste years to obtain worthless degrees and take on enormous student debt only to face poor job prospects. The upshot? Some in the industry get rich, students get suckered, and taxpayers get stuck holding the bag for millions of dollars in defaulted loans and grants spent on worthless programs. The Obama administration came down hard on the industry and spent years honing a regulation to make career programs more accountable. What has the Trump administration done? Last week, DeVos took the first step towards dumping the rule and removing potential punishment that even the industry acknowledges has forced some schools to shut down and others to clean up their acts. The opposing view, commit every college to full transparency. The rule requires colleges with career programs to report graduate student debt compared with their incomes to ensure that the debt isn't out of proportion to what they earn. Federal law mandates that schools prepare students for gainful employment and students shouldn't be forced into the poorhouse by enormous loans that got them nothing of value. The rule makes sense. Programs that repeatedly fail to meet the modest government standard that a typical student's loan payments not exceed 12% of his yearly earnings lose their eligibility for three years for student loans and grants, the lifeblood of most of these programs. Last year, when the Obama Education Department released its first set of statistics, nine out of ten colleges, including public, private and for-profit institutions, had no failing programs. Of the more than 800 programs that failed, most were at for-profit schools, while a sprinkling were at non-profits. One of them was Harvard University's ART Institute, a a graduate theatre training program where the median student debt was $78,000 while graduates earned, on average, a meagre $36,000 a year. It's a perfect illustration of what the government is seeking to stop. DeVos wants to replace the rule with information posted on the department's college information website, College Scoreboard, on the median debt and median earnings of graduates. Sounds good as far as it goes. The more information prospective students have, the better. But it is not a substitute for government accountability or for denying federal dollars to schools that don't deliver the product they're selling, job training. 
Jettisoning industry accountability comes as no surprise. Since taking over the department, DeVos has hired several former for-profit leaders for top department jobs and has modified or otherwise neutered rules and programs meant to clean up the for-profit sector. Steve Gunderson, president of the For-Profits Trade Association, says the for-profit sector has improved so much that critics should declare victory and go home. But after 800 training programs failed, the government test last year, it's way too soon to call it quits. The industry and its allies like to frame the for-profit issue as a fight waged by Democrats and the Obama White House against business. That rewrites history. For-profit colleges caused so much damage in the 1980s that conservative icon William Bennett, President Ronald Reagan's education secretary, called them an outrage perpetrated not only on the American taxpayer but, but most tragically upon some of the most disadvantaged and most vulnerable members of society. As long as that's true for even some schools today, the government, whether run by Democrats or Republicans, should be on the case. Thank you very much, Alan. I'll just point out, that's from USA Today, which is by no means anything like left-wing. Uh, that's the editorial board of the USA Today coming out with that. Now, there's sort of some weird good news coming out, because everything in the US is weird these days. Um, there's now a petition... Um, has many, many ten hundreds, or sorry, almost a hundred thousand signatures, saying that Betsy DeVos should be sacked as the education secretary, and LeBron James, the basketballer from the LA Lakers, who set up his own public school. So it's not his. He set up a public school, gave his money to a public school. Um, he should, in fact, be the education secretary instead. Now, just to, just to, just to highlight what LeBron James did, he gave his money to a public school and said, "Here, do good things." And what the good things they're doing? The school not only educates the kids; it has job placement services for the parents, as well as contributing free college tuition to those students who wish to go on as well. It's a sort of a 360 whole process. So they're saying, "Oh, LeBron James, you can be the education secretary." Hopefully, that petition kicks off. Ladies and gentlemen, we've come to almost the end of our program, but before we go, we have to share you some good news because we've come time for our great state school. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Great State School of the Week, Newport Lakes Primary School. Now, I was promising that we're going to do more a little bit, a little bit more about Bo Morris, and we will be doing that next week. Actually, I'm going to, I'm, I'm in discussions with people from the school to get them on because it's such an interesting school down at Bo Morris. But well, it's not the only Great State School because Newport Lakes Primary School is also a Great State School at Newport. Now, Newport, Newport was an interesting place to live back in the day. It's still an interesting place to live now, but things are changing in Newport. Um, Newport's become, I wouldn't say gentrified, but things are changing. Newport, Newport Lakes Primary School is doing some wonderful things. There's about 30 teachers there, and there's around about 250 kids. So, you know, class sizes aren't that small, they aren't that large, but they're doing wonderful things. Look, it goes from prep to six. It's actually just there down in Newport, which is just on the inner west of Melbourne. Now, the school is at the moment in, experiencing an increase in enrolments, and it's been going on for now for about three years. Um, and the growth in enrolments has actually been, it's been changing because the demographics of Newport's been changing. Now, in this particular school, there are still one quarter of the kids that come from a background of language that's other than English, which means that three quarters of the kids now come from background, language background at home that is English, which is, which is less multicultural than, you know, the further west you go. But Newport itself has become an interesting place because student engagement and well-being is supported by the school's values. Now, I won't talk about well-being too much, but that basically means that families and parents in the school are working in partnership, and that is what's key to what's going on there. Now, who are these kids? Well... A little bit more than half of them come from the top quartile in terms of income. So it's a reasonably rich school there in, 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 um, in our Newport. And so, yeah, well, that's all rather interesting because you've got rich kids moving into Newport. That has been a definite dem- demographic shift. 
But their results in terms of their NAPLAN are extraordinary. Newport Lakes Primary School is in fact one of the best schools, doesn't matter what sector, in Victoria. If you have a look at all the schools doing good things around Victoria, public, private, um, you know, independent schools, in terms of its comparative ranking, its NAPLAN results and its attendance to care and its parental rankings in terms of how satisfied they are and in terms of teacher turnover, which is quite low, the school is humming along like no one's business. It's a wonderful little school. In fact, I can tell you right now, real estate agents would be very happy to tell you that Newport Lakes is in the catchment area if you're moving in and wanting to buy a house with, with a small child in your family. It's that kind of school. Um, now, how much does it cost? How much does it cost to provide this gold standard? And it is gold standard. You don't get better in Victoria than Newport Lakes Primary School Education. How much does it cost the taxpayer? It costs the taxpayer under $10,000 per child to do this per year. So you've got a state school delivering not just excellent education, you've got delivering excellent education at a discount rate. That is less money that's going to a child in that school than the private school down the road. That's just taxpayers' money. Less taxpayers' money going to the kids at Newport Lakes Primary School because... They're working together in, a, in an amazing place. Now, they also have, at New, Newport Lakes, a very wonderful arts program, I have to say, um, in, in terms of what they do with the kids. It's not just about the reading and the writing and the arithmetic, although that is what pops out. They have well above, above average sort of results in grade three and grade five for numeracy, grammar, spelling, writing and reading across and co- compared to other schools in Australia. But forget compared to other schools in Australia, compared to the kid next to you. That's the whole community approach. Compared to the kid next to you, every child is doing well. How can that be possible? Because an education competition is not the best measure of success. It's what you do together as a school that matters. Not, indeed, not necessarily what you do compared to the school down the road. It's just what you do with the people you have and the community that you've built. And at, at, at sorry, Newport Lakes Primary School, that's exactly what they're doing. So congratulations to Newport Lakes Primary School. You are our great state school of the week. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses. Refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of the DOGS program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. If you're interested in what we've been telling you about or indeed interested in, in the broader issues of education in Australia and how state schools can be defended, please check us out on our website at www 
www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Because here at the Dogs Program, we need to be here. State schools need to be defended because, quite frankly, as I was highlighting in Dales before, when it comes to defending state schools, there is no, there is no specific political voice. There's no bishops out there defending state schools. There's no Protestant ministers defending state schools. That's why you need the defence of government schools. And because the governments don't do it neither. But until next week, when we have to come back, because the fight's not won yet, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, just as I am standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe. Killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes. Says Joe, what they can never kill Went on to organize Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill